Uh, name is Brandon Ziski, lead pastor here. If you're a guest visiting with us this morning, um, we want to let you know that we're a church that's all about Jesus. We want to strive to build our lives off of him um, and to uh, build everything around what he says and who he is. Um, so that's a little bit about our DNA. Now, real quick, there's going to be two public service announcements coming from Moa um, that I want you to think about and to embrace. Now, the first one is um, right outside of those doors is Operation Christmas Child, okay? Now, here's my challenge to you, and, and this is a true, sincere, and heartfelt challenge that I want you to do. I don't really want you to consider this. I want you to do this. And so there's very often I don't do that, but I really think we should. There should be no reason why each family or each individual in this room cannot do two boxes. Okay? Just don't go out to eat for a week or stop drinking coffee for a week or two. And fill up those boxes. If you've got kids in your home, like do it with them or grandkids, do it with them. Because our small, it's not even a sacrifice, right, to do this. It doesn't cost a lot to do this. But our effort to be part of Operation Christmas Child is actually a, a beautiful global gospel thing because these packages, these boxes are going all around the world to kids who may or may not get Christmas gifts for one, but they get to hear about the message of Jesus Christ. And maybe they've never heard it before. So you get the opportunity to partner with that. And so I want to encourage you to do that. It's a really good thing. I, I've been challenging the first and second service this, and I'm going to challenge you as well, that I would love for us this year to break the record of how many boxes that have been, you know, stuffed by Austin Oaks Church. I want that record to be broke. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure someone's going to tell me, but I want it to be snapped this year. Come on. You know, like, you, you just really can't leave me hanging on those types of things. It just feels awkward. Even if you're deciding not to do it, don't leave me hanging, you know. But secondly, I, I like, this is not because I'm, like, you know, vain and trying to be like Superman. It's because I want to stand in support of our children's ministry. Ah, like if you, if you go across the campus, if you go across the campus, you'll see a bunch of our kids dressed in superhero outfits and, you know, all these things. And they're not doing this because of Halloween. It's because they're, they're doing a series called Superheroes. And the whole idea, and I absolutely love it, is that they're trying to help our kids to understand that it doesn't take a superhero to follow Jesus. It just takes a normal, ordinary, broken person. And they're going through stories of like Peter and those guys that just said yes to Jesus and watching him be the hero of the story and in their lives. And as I was thinking about that, I was like, you know what, this morning, that's what I need. It's like, I need to realize that I'm not the superhero, that Jesus is, and that that is sufficient. And so I, this is good enough for me. I need this for me this morning, but I'm standing with our, our little ones today. So if you think about it, pray for them over there as God continues to shape and to mold their hearts, okay? So I want to jump into the message this morning because this morning's message I'm, I'm really passionate about and I believe that if we as a church really grab hold of some of these truths and we start to build our lives upon God's word, we'll start to see a major difference in our homes, our families, our schools, workplaces, and yes, even in the city. I'm absolutely convinced of that because that's what God's word says. And so we've been in this series called Church for Monday. And the premise of this whole series is to help us think outside of Sunday morning, to help us think about how our faith intersects with the rest of the work week or rest of our week, whatever it is, our, all the days between Sundays. Because so, so many of us in cultural Christianity, we start to think, hey, I'm a Christian. Well, why are you a Christian? Because I go to church as if one hour out of 167 hours in your week means you're a Christian. That's not the call. That's not the mission. 
And we've been talking about this now for a few weeks. The first week we were just saying, listen, our primary calling in life is not your job, it's not your strengths, it's not your weaknesses, it's not the relationships you have. Like those are all secondary and those are all important. We're not downplaying that, but they're secondary. Your primary calling as a follower of Jesus is just that, a disciple, a follower of Jesus, and everything else is the environment by which you live that calling out. So that means every opportunity in your life is an opportunity to follow Jesus closer or to serve. Every moment, every second, everything that you go through matters. Your Mondays matter. But we need to bridge this gap. We need to move beyond what happens here stays here. We need to take what happens here and use it as fuel to propel us out for our Mondays. And so that's why we hear the call about carrying our cross and being yoked with Jesus. Now this morning, what we want to dive into comes in the form of a question. And I want us to be honest and I want us to be courageous in our assessment of our hearts. So here's the question. What are you building your life on? Okay? Sunday school answers are not permitted. Unless it's, right, the truth. But just don't give me the right answer. I want an honest answer. What are you building your life on? The way I like to talk about it is in the phrase of a story. Like, whose story are you living out? We, we live by stories. We think through stories. Like, that's kind of how we see our Mondays. Mondays make sense due to the story that we believe we are living. So, what are you building your life on? Whose story are you living out? Whose story are you part of, okay? So, I love stories, I love what stories do to our hearts. I believe, in fact, scientists have even showed us this, that humans are hardwired to think in stories. Like facts, black and white facts, don't always grab and motivate our hearts, but stories shape worldview. They help us make sense of the past, inform the present, and give us the hope for the future, and all these things. We have so many stories. They're, they're movies and things like that that just grab our hearts. We all have our favorite movies. We all have our favorite books. So I said, hey, let's, let's just do a quiz. Right now, if we can figure out what story this is based upon the first line of a novel, okay? So I'm going to let you know. First service got all but one. Second service got all but one. And I am hoping that you guys can get all of them. Okay, do not let me down. Okay, so here we go. Here's, here's the quiz. I'm going to skip a bunch of these verses, okay? Here we go, here we go. All right, name the book. Come on, yes. We're going to start easy. We're going to warm up. We're going to ease into this, okay? So I thought, hey, let's just leave it right in there, right? In the hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. You're correct. The hobbit, okay? You got to get this one. In the beginning. The Bible. Okay, for you overachievers, Genesis, right, okay. All right, like I said, we're warming up, okay? Call me Ishmael. Moby Dick. All right. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Tell two cities. All right. It's a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Pride and prejudice. I only know that, not because I'm a fan, which I am, but because my wife is obsessed with Jane Austen. So that's how I know this. Okay. Here's the one. Okay. Here's the one that nobody has gotten right. You have to get it right or I'm leaving, okay? 
Some of you are like, okay, don't say anything. Okay, no, just <laughs> this is my favorite book in all the world, though I've never read it. Yes! I get to preach. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> we, we love stories because stories shape and inform so much. Like all of these stories, we know the plot, the, narr- the narratives, and the characters, and they, there's things that transcend those stories that speak into our realities that help us make sense of things, right? But the reality is, like, now let's just bring this into real tangible living, our own lives. We live out a story, and our Mondays will not make sense without a story. So I got to ask this question. Am I living out the best story? What is the story I'm living out on Monday. One of the ways to think about it is the why. Why do you do what you do? Why do you go to work? Why are you in that profession? Like you got to start thinking about all these things, what drives that motivation, okay? And so maybe some of your stories, you might have some storylines in your story that could be filling in some blanks like this, and this could help you identify which story influences you. If I only had blank, then I would be happy. If that's a storyline that you find influencing your Mondays, maybe your story isn't big enough, okay? Some of us might be saying something like this. If I was free to able to do this or that, then I would be happy. Then I would be content. If I had success, then I would find meaning and purpose in my life. Some of us might be in the relational story thinking, if I had this significant relationship or this partnership or whatever it is, and then I would find meaning and fulfillment in my life. Or some of us are really caught up in a self-pity story. If only they would do or stop doing this, then all my problems would go away. Like, think about this. What story influences your Monday? Absolutely important. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because we just need to face the brutal facts. And it's not brutal. It's actually a really helpful thing that nothing will make sense until we find our story in his story. How much do we allow culture to influence what we do on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday on our relationships? How about how much sometimes do we allow our own logic and reasoning influence what we do and how we see life. Well, I'll make my own decisions. I can call my own path. I can do all this stuff. And we fail to remember that the Bible says that there's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death and destruction. Some of us, we write our story narrative based upon our feelings or emotions. If it feels good, we do it. Well, this is great. I'm having happiness and it's down. And we just feel very shifty like a yo-yo. And we fail to remember that the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things. What are we building our story upon? And this morning, my challenge to you is, and I think you already know where this is going, we need to build our lives off of his story the truest story, the greatest story ever. That's where we find everything. We need to make sense of our lives and we can only do it when it's enveloped, enmeshed into his story. And that's why I love the passage that we're in this morning because we're gonna look over like Paul's shoulder and into his heart to see how he's able to stand 
in the midst of his Mondays and his hardships and his persecutions and all the things that he faces on his Monday. Yes, Paul had Mondays. Right? He wasn't just some super Christian that just skated by and never had any pressures and hardships. He had Mondays, and his Mondays were really difficult for him. And we have this letter here in 2 Corinthians that is Paul's relationship with a church in Corinth that caused tremendous headaches and problems and heartaches for Paul. And we get a glimpse into his life where it could have been so much easier for Paul to go, you know what? I'm just going to send Timothy to Corinth from now on. Oh, that letter didn't make the mail. My bad. Like he could have had any opportunity just to kind of move on. But he saw everything. His calling, his purpose, his sufferings, his struggles. He saw everything through the lens of God's story. And that's what we need to do. And that's what we need to see. I mean, Paul, okay, like, he didn't have a glorious job. He was a tent maker. That's how he made money. That's how he got his ends met, right? And he was a tent maker because he didn't want to be dependent upon these young infant churches to provide for him. But he also uses an opportunity to network and to get into communities to tell people about Jesus because he understood that his primary calling was to live out the gospel, Now, before Paul lived that story, we see in Acts that he was living a completely different story. One that he thought was right. One that he thought was sure. One that fed his passion. And he thought that he was advancing amongst the ranks. Then one day, on his journey to Damascus to arrest and persecute more people who are following Jesus, well, so-and-so meets him. He doesn't know. A bright light knocks him off of his horse. And he goes, who are you? And Jesus goes, it is I, the one who you're persecuting, Jesus. And at that moment, Paul's story completely was transformed. And at that moment, Paul forever saw his story enmeshed right into the gospel story, into God's story, and it changed everything. So here's my question. Here's my question. How well do you know God's story? How well do you know his story? Like, we're not just saying, like, oh, yeah, I'm part of these Bible studies and all this stuff, because you're going to understand. The answer to this question shows up in three things. How you know the story, how you live the story, and how you place all your hope in that story. Like, that's how you answer that question. How well do you know the story? Well, let's look at Paul, because he gives us a lot of insight into this. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Paul writes... In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Okay? It's fascinating. Up to this moment, Paul was talking about his struggles, that he went through these persecutions and God comforted him, and that God always you know, leads him through this triumphal procession, talking about the Old Testament and the gospel. And he's like, basically, he goes in here, he's like, therefore, since we have this ministry, in other words, like, I'm living out the gospel. Like, God, my life is now found in his purpose. This is my calling, is to serve you. We could easily read this and go, well, of course, Paul was an apostle. That was his calling. That would be a mistake for us to leave it there. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, this should be your line as well. 
Because your call as a follower of Jesus means you're in full-time ministry. Like us paid staff, we're on vocational staff. Like we're not the ones that are in full-time ministry. Every single person who says they follow Jesus is in full-time ministry, which means your life needs to be enveloped into his story. Your purpose is to follow him and to live for him, to serve him and to serve others. And Paul, he makes it crystal clear. He's like, listen, since we have this ministry, since my life is now caught up in his, we do not lose heart. It could be easy to be discouraged Folks, this church, this church in Corinth is jacked up. Like this church, it has some major issues, okay? Like we're talking really grotesque sexual immorality that was allowed to happen. A dude's son was sleeping with a mother. I mean, it was just like, it was messed up. Divisions and arguments and, and party politics were happening. But worse than that, like Paul, he was... Paul was like being abused and accused of not being a good leader. They had all of these private little meetings saying like, Paul shouldn't be leading us. He's not even an apostle and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of like, um, like a, a board group. Like, not, like this would never happen here. Like a board meeting in private to see if like the, the pastor should still be the pastor. And the pastor has no idea. They're like, well, he's not good enough. He doesn't measure up to this and this and that. Like they're just accusing Paul and backhanding him and gossiping him and slandering him. And all the while, Paul, he could have easily just went, I'm done. I'm done with you. He goes, no, no, no. Since we have this ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we do not lose heart. And the phrasing here is so beautiful. I love it. It's this idea of like, I'm not throwing in the towel. How many of you have felt like that on Monday? Maybe your, your home life is a war zone. Work is just hard. Maybe you're just going, what am I doing? Well, they'll never change. I'm never getting it. I'm never going to be seen. I'm never going to get it. I'm never going to get the respect. I'm never going to get the level. Whatever it is. It's so easy to lose heart. It's so easy to want to throw in the towel on Monday. It's so easy. But Paul's like, listen, if you find your life in his story, you're going to have the ability to not lose heart. In fact, in verse 16, he says the same thing. And in the middle is what we see. This is how you stand firm. This is how you're able to not throw in the towel on your Monday life, no matter how hard it is, no matter the opposition, no matter how strong the disagreements are, no matter how crazy the kids are, no matter how wrong your spouse is, no matter what your boss says, no matter what happens to the market, no matter what happens in the school district, you're able to stand because you know that you're building your life on a greater story. And this is what Paul is getting at. In verse 2, he goes on, he's like, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways where we refuse to practice cunning. Like, we are not building our lives on any other secret way. We're not going to be like everyone else. We're not going to deceive you. We're not going to manipulate God's word for our own gain to try to get our advancement. See this connection? He's like, we're not going to tamper with God's word. Like, everything that we are and everything that we say and everything that we live by is off of his word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. 
Verse 3, and even if our gospel, if our message, the good news we're telling you is veiled and you're not getting it, other people aren't getting it, it's only veiled to those who are perishing. I love what Paul says. He's like, we're not telling you anything other than God's word. Uh, my, my, everything that shapes what we do, everything that influences the decisions I make, the reason why we're not losing heart and the reason why we're not throwing in a towel is because of God's word. And we're not going to tamper with it. We're going to set it before you because it's the truth. And I love what he says. Like, he's like, listen, it is the open truth. And we're commending ourselves to everyone to look at that. He doesn't say, which is just as relevant today as it was then, oh, this is my truth, okay? It might not be your truth, but please hear me out. This is my truth. He's not doing that. He's not saying it's one of the truths. Because as we continue to read, he's saying like this truth stands apart all truths. This is the best story because it is the true story and it's the trustworthy story. And he lays it out there. And he's like the battle, as we see in verse 3 and 4, is over the truth. There's an enemy in this world that wants to blind people from seeing the truth from seeing the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a gift that God has given us. I mean, there's nothing magical about the binding and the paper. It's what was written here in space and time. It, It came from the mouth of God who with a single phrase can speak anything into existence and he goes i want you to get it i want you to see my heart i want you to see how to bring you back to from dead to from death to life it's here look at me this is how you build your life this is how you're going to stand this is how you're going to flourish look here folks i think sometimes we forget that this is god's word and i love the way paul writes about this in first thessalonians chapter 2 to the church in Thessalonica, he gets this little moment where he's just like, you can see his heart just going, I thank God for this, right? I thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, get this, I love, I love this. You accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. I love, it's like Paul's like, like you heard the word that came from us and you received it. Not, not like it's my words. Like, like I'm just throwing out these pithy pastoral statements and my own philosophy and my own interpretation. It's like, no, no, you received it as it really is. The word of God. And it's at work in you who believe. Here's what's phenomenal about this book. Like it's not only a book that God has given us that we can read. But I'm telling you, It's a book that reads you better than you read it. It reads you. Have you ever felt that? I think sometimes that's why we don't want to read it. We're like, can't you not meddle right there? Because that part kind of hurts, right? Like, it knows your heart. It knows your thoughts. It, It reads your motives. It reads your desires. It reads your idols. It just starts to weave and speak and convict of sin and righteousness and encourage and stir up hope and faith and love and good deeds and all the other things. Like It reads you. Why? Because it's alive and active. This is the written word, but it's really the living word, which is Jesus. 
It reads you. It gets you. It understands who you are, how you're formed, what you're made for. But not only that, through the power of the Holy Spirit, when He opens our eyes, it transforms you. There's nothing else like it in the world. Nothing at all. So we need, we need to not compartmentalize our lives, but as we learn to build our lives on the Bible so that way we can live faithfully on our Mondays, we have to see everything in our lives through the lens of Scripture. It has to be our filter in how we see our relationships, our work, our bottom lines, the classrooms, our classmates, our spouses, our grandkids, everything. I love the way C.S. Lewis says this. He's got this quote in one of his books. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun is risen. Not because I can just see it, but by seeing it, I see everything else. I, I love that. He's like, I, like, I believe in Christians just like I, see, I believe in the sun is risen. Not because I see the sun, but also because as I see it, I can see everything else. That's what happens when we build our lives on God's word. It illuminates every aspect of your life, which means your Monday. Everything. So here's the question How well do you know God's story? How often do you spend time in God's word? Are you a forever student of God's word? Or have you been there, done that, read that chapter, read that Bible study, read that book six times over? Do you have a discipline of spending time in the Word? Yes, a discipline, a habit, a pattern of letting God's Word read you as much as you're reading it. I get it. There are seasons when you like, I have no time. I got Three kids at home, and i got to run a dance and soccer and basketball and this and this. I don't know when I'm going to get to it and all this kind of stuff. Listen, there's seasons where it's hard. Absolutely. But you're still going to have to be creative in how you find time. Because if this is God's heart for us, and this is where we learn, like Jesus says, to be the wise builder, to build our lives upon the rock, the foundation, to hear the word and do the word, if that's it and he's giving us, isn't this the most important thing we have? This is where we get to learn more and experience him more right this this is it and a lot of times like and, and i'm one of the per- people that would say this so i'm admitting my, my own guilt here as well but a lot of times people will come up to me like oh man i just have no time and i'm like come on come on come on let's just be honest we all have 24 hours let's just let's just be honest so do you know what happened in that episode of that movie last night or that tv show last night like oh yeah da, da, da. like you have time not trying to guilt anybody, but it's just like, what do we value more? What do we see as important more? Like, we shouldn't be coming to God's word because I have to. It's because we understand our calling. Therefore, since we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Everything that Paul did in this passage was based upon God's word. It's how he saw his life. I mean, his, God's word is so profound. Paul says to Timothy, a young, growing pastor, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It's amazing. It covers everything and every angle in our lives. 
So not only do we need to know the story, but we have to learn how to live the story, right? Because it's one thing just to know a bunch of things. We can know a bunch of stuff, but it doesn't really mean much until we learn how to live it out. So like Paul could simply say, it's like we don't lose heart, but is he really living this out? Absolutely, Paul is. So let's take a glimpse into how he does that in verse 7. Paul says here in verse 7 of chapter 4, he goes, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And like, how does Paul know what this treasure is? Because of the gospel. And I love what Paul says. He's like, listen, I know who I am and I know who you are. You and I, we're just jars of clay. That's all we are. We're nothing fancy. We're vulnerable to external environments. We're easily broken and cracked. We're fragile. There's nothing there. Like, there's nothing we can do. Our storylines aren't going to change this. But what's awesome is the treasure that's inside of this jar of clay, which is the living word, which is Jesus. When that had, like, that's what shows the surpassing power. Like, that's how I don't lose heart. That's how I live this out. It's understanding that it's him in me and not me. You see the difference? It's like, which story are you living out? And he continues because Paul's like, he's like, listen, my life is not easy. <laughs> I mean, if you understand, like you can go to chapter 11 of this letter and you can go, woof. Yeah, his life is not easy. How do we live this out? Verse 8, look, watch this. We are afflicted in every way. He's like, listen, we're a jar of clay. There's a treasure inside. Like, because we're live, we're, we're to display the glory of Jesus. We're afflicted in every way. But we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Does that sound like Monday? And Tuesday and Wednesday? pressures and things are coming from every angle and Paul's basically saying in a lot of ways to them it's like you guys are making me feel this but he goes yet yeah, I know I'm not despairing I'm not losing heart I'm not throwing in a towel because I know what's in here I know what I'm living for I'm living my life for him so it doesn't matter he sees his suffering and his persecutions and his struggles and opposition all through the lens of Scripture, all through the lens of God's story. How do you see your opposition, your struggling, and your suffering? How do you make sense of it? If it's not through God's story, you're going to be so tempted to throw in the towel. You might feel crushed. You will begin to despair. And that's why this is so important. We, this is how we start to live this out. I mean, the, the imagery that Paul gives here is very, like they would have caught on to this. This was speaking of gladiators, like of the war that they would fight. Like they would get hit, knocked down, but they would still keep going. Like, I immediately thought of Rocky Balboa. Anybody fans of Rocky? Like, 
one punch at a time, one step at a time. I thought that was pretty good. Right? Like, there's a resiliency because he knows why. I mean, folks, the easy thing for Paul is just to cut his losses and move on from this church. I mean, they don't even want him. But Paul knows he's called. He's like, I'm not living for you. I know what ought to be. I know how God created things. I know the present reality. I know that you're still sinful. I understand that. But I also know what can be because of Jesus Christ. And I know what's going to be because we have the end result of the story that there's going to be a new creation. That framework shaped and influenced everything in Paul's life. Now we start to look at this in verse 10. He's starting to preach the gospel. He's like, listen, I'm pressed, but I'm not broken. We're just, you know, persecuted, but we're not forsaken, struck down. Verse 10, I'm always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in, in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. What does that mean? For we who live are always carrying in us the death of Jesus. We're always giving over to death, like, like obviously not physically. So he's speaking about a spiritual reality. What Paul is in essence saying is like, we who live, who are alive in Jesus, we choose to deny ourselves and to carry our cross daily so that the life of Jesus can be on display. Yes, I will choose to carry my cross in opposition, in slander, in wrongdoing, in despair, because the reality is I'm a jar of clay and the treasure is what's on the inside and it's the living word, it's Jesus, it's his spirit. So we will not despair. And here's what I want to do. I want to get real practical for us this morning. I want to get to real practical so that way you can start to go, okay, how then do I frame my, my life, my Monday world around God's story. And, and here's the beautiful thing. Paul gave us a glimpse in this chapter. God's story can really be comprised of four general chapters, okay? Four general chapters, and it's basically creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. When you look at the Bible, these are the four chapters basically you would see. God created the world, Genesis 1 and 2, and it was good, and it was perfect, it was harmonious, and everything was together, and as it ought to be. Then chapter 3 shows up, sin entered the world and brought ruin and destruction and pain and death and suffering and a divorce between man and God. And then we get the story of all of these promises about God sending someone who's going to redeem us to bring us back from death to life. And we see it in the Gospels of Jesus Christ, which is the redemptive part of the story. But it doesn't end there. God gives us a glimpse of what will happen when all things end. That Jesus is going to come and he's going to make all things new. Not make all new things. He's going to make all things new and restore things as it ought to be. Okay, so instead of using churchy language, because a lot of times we don't, we don't think in our worlds this way, like, oh, so where's the creation aspect in my life? And where's the, the sin aspect, the fall? And the rede- think about it this way. I got four words that I use to frame this. Ought, is, can, and will. 
Ought, is, can, will, okay? Like those four words will help you think how this can frame your world, okay? And Paul actually does this in this chapter. The ought, the creation. We, we know what the ought is, what ought to be, how God originally created things. And we all know, humanity knows, this is, this is great, literally, humanity knows that there was or should have been a created order that was right, and we use it in our language. When you see something completely unjust and wrong and just disgusting or maybe a brokenness, do we not say things like this? That's not how it ought to be. Well, what's the ought? We just instinctively know that there's something wrong with morality, that there is an original creative thing. And Paul, he speaks of creation in this passage because he understands the story of God. But there's also this part of is. It's now broken. This is what it is. As Paul's writing to this group of people, he understands that the battle is for the truth and that there's an enemy going on to keep people from seeing the truth. To some it's veiled, to others it's not. And it's those who are perishing and not perishing. And Paul gets that. And so he doesn't panic. He doesn't get mad at people. He doesn't take offense because he understands that we're living in a broken world. This is what it is. I know what it ought to be, but here's the reality. And he keeps moving forward. He doesn't lose heart because of what can be. He's like, listen, I will suffer on your behalf. I will continue to carry my cross. I will continue to lay down my rights for you so that you can see Jesus in me. So that completely reframed how he saw the injustice and the wrongdoing on himself because he understood that his life was about the gospel. And then he concludes, which is where we're going to end, in what will be. And this is like Paul's encouragement for us to continue to live out and help us to see our Monday context right. So look at verse 16 for a moment. Paul says again, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now, verse 17 is just like, really? For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, they're transient. They're just a, a mist, a snap of a finger. That's all they are. But the things that are unseen are eternal. I read that and I'm like, Paul, are you mocking our hardships, this light and momentary struggle or affliction? Paul's like, no. If you understand the story of God, that's how you see it. We know what ought to be. We know that God created creation perfectly and good. And we know what is. Sin came and ruined things, so it's wrong. And God came to change things, what can be through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Dead people can be made alive. Relationships can be restored, right? Like that's what can be. But yet we also know that we're not going to experience the fullness of everything now. So Paul's like, if you understand all of this stuff, yes, all your struggles, all your opposition, all the wrongdoings, all the persecution, all the despair, everything, if you live in view of eternity, is a light and momentary struggle. That doesn't downplay how hard it is. But if you understand the story, 
You know that because it's achieving for us. I don't even know what this phrase means. An eternal weight of glory. I could guess. I could throw out some you know, theological seminary words at you that I was trained in, but really, we don't know. All we know is what Paul says next. That is beyond all comprehension. I'm like, yeah. It's like you're, you're here to live on mission. You've been given this ministry to follow Jesus. So don't lose heart. Understand that the treasure is inside of you and that no matter what you're facing in your realities, in your workplaces, yes, there is a, like an original design that should have been there. And yes, sin has ruined it. So people who offend you or mocking you or people who annoy you, remember, they're created in the image of God. They need Jesus too. How can we bring in the gospel into these situations and remember that things will be created new. Everything. It's worth it. This is how we're ready for Monday. Is when we learn to build our lives upon God's word. To place our story into his story. And C.S. Lewis, he said it best. He says, those, let me read the quote exactly. Those who think about heaven are best on earth. Those who think about heaven are best on earth. Now that doesn't mean that today and tomorrow doesn't matter. Every moment you have matters. But we live with eternity in view. God has sovereignly placed you in your workplaces, in your homes, your neighborhoods, and all these things because your Mondays matter. And yes, you're going to face hardships, you're going to be facing slander and people aren't going to understand you. They're going to wrong you and all these other things. And things aren't going to go the way you thought. And all, you're going to have this temptation to throw in the towel. But listen, do not lose heart. Build your life on God's word. Continue to look at the things that are unseen. Understand that there's a greater story in this world. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I'm so incredibly thankful that it's alive and active. That as we engage with it, it's reading us. It's getting into the areas that sometimes we don't want you to meddle in. But we thank you for that. We thank you that in the pages that you've given us through the scriptures, through your spirit, you call us higher. You, you call us to this place of following you, of disciple-making, of a higher calling, of realizing that our lives here are to be about you and that we're to be carrying our cross and, and denying ourselves and to be salt and light and to be ambassadors. This, this whole existence of, of being a Christian makes no sense unless we are living this life. So Father, I'm just asking that you would use this time of worship to, to investigate our hearts, to kind of like what David says, like, oh Lord, search me and know my ways. God, help us to see if there's any areas in our lives that are out of sync with you. If our vocations or our Mondays or how we see relationships outside of these walls aren't in sync with your story, God, would you use this time in worship to align that? 
So Lord, would you speak to our hearts? And church, I want to encourage you. Like, I, I really do love the way we structured our worship services now because when we understand worship, responding, singing to, it makes more sense to do the singing after engaging in God's word because this is our opportunity to respond to what God has been saying, speaking to our, so we're, we wanted to give room and space for us to think and to meditate. And so I want to encourage you, don't go, we heard the sermon, now let's just get up and leave and get to lunch quicker. Like really use this time to process what we talked about and to talk with your father in heaven and just to have him look into your hearts and just sing your heart back. Like, so use this time. And I know that God will meet you. God will speak to you. He will encourage you. He will convict you. So, Father, we just say, have your way in our hearts. Speak to our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name.